Welcome to the Nittany Blues Podcast. By Penn State fans, for Penn State fans. Here are your hosts, Andrew and Vince. What's up, Nittany Lion fans? Welcome back to the Nittany Blues podcast. We are here, and Vince, for the first time since August, we don't have a football game to preview. Yeah, it's a it's a really weird feeling, uh, not having a football game to preview. The, the seasons are kind of changing, but the good news is Penn State does have one more football game. It'll be a big bowl game. We got conference championship football coming this weekend, so a lot of exciting things to talk about. And I think I have something that is going to excite a lot of Penn State fans. We just got breaking news today that Canyon Pizza is back and open. Andrew, how are you feeling about this news? I feel like we need an emergency pod just for this news. It makes me feel like God does exist, Vince. I can't uh, understate enough just how happy this news makes me. Yeah, I can tell. And I remember when I I broke the the news to you that it was closing, I could just tell like your heart sunk and it like broke your soul in half. So it did. I was, it did. I was very, I was very happy that I was able to deliver some positive news uh, a little bit different. Uh, so, you know, what are your <laughs> thoughts on this? Uh, any other thoughts? No, just uh, super glad that a state college staple is back and hopefully they'll be able to uh, keep their health violations um, under control at Canyon pizza so that everybody out there can enjoy $4 deals for years to come. Yep. So, and if you like Canyon Pizza, you know, get back there uh, before it closes again. <laughs> <laughs> That's right. Get your dollar bills ready. All right. So, what do you think, Andrew? Are you ready for the Penn State Roundtable? I am. Yes. Uh, but first, I think I I want to you know share a little bit of other exciting news here. Oh, within even the bigger podcast. news. Bigger news. Yeah. Than Canyon. Yeah, we've got some uh, very exciting news, something that's been in the works for a very long time. We now have a merch store. So we've had a couple of you ask for some Nittany Blues shirts and some other memorabilia, and we finally have it. So if you go to nittanyblues.com shop, you'll find a selection of shirts, sweatshirts, long sleeve shirts, hats, and mugs that sport the Nittany Blues logo uh, that you can go out and represent your favorite Penn State fan podcast. And uh, I'll personally vouch that the shirts and the sweatshirts uh, fit very well. They're very comfortable. So I'm very happy with how everything turned out there. So if you're looking to get some Nittany Blues merch, now is a great time to do so. We uh, have a coupon code running for not only the holiday season, but also just for the initial launch of the store. So you go to nittanyblues.com shop and use code HOLIDAY10. You'll get 10% off your order until December 20th. And uh, all I'll recommend is that you get your order in quickly so that it's in there in time uh, for the holidays to have either for yourself or for your loved ones. But super happy to finally have this off the ground and uh, can't wait to be sporting some trendy new Nittany Blues logo stuff. Uh, how about you, Vince? Yeah, I'm really excited. Uh, I, I definitely appreciate all the hard work you put in into getting the store together. Uh, Nittany Blues fans, you, you got to get out and get some apparel uh, j- just because of how hard Andrew has worked and because the <laughs> products are awesome. Uh, and again, part of that discount is because we love you guys so much. We really appreciate the support that we've been given on this podcast just from, you know, 
you know, random Penn State fans, people home in Seals Grove here in State College. We've had a lot of great support. So, you know, that coupon code is for you. We appreciate you guys. And, you know, selling that is going to help keep the pod running. So definitely appreciate you guys. And we are excited to continue to give you some awesome content as we cover Penn State sports. Well said, Vince. So hit us with the roundtable. Uh, today, uh, this week was a crazy week in basketball. Uh, men's basketball, uh, they had a win and a loss. They beat Lafayette on Black Friday in the BJC 70-57. to Saw a lot of good things in that game. We have a uh, podcast just on that game, more in depth. Uh, so if you go back to episode 39, you can catch that recap there. And then last night, Clemson, or, uh, we had lost a heartbreaker to Clemson, uh, 101-94 to in double, double overtime. We will have a recap on that game soon. That was an absolutely crazy game, uh, which included a Andrew Funk banked three to send the game into overtime, and a Clemson player, Hunter Tyson, went going the entire second half and overtimes without missing a shot, and Jalen Pickett doing Jalen Pickett things, Seth Lundy doing Seth Lundy things, and you know all the usual companies. So that was a crazy game. There's a more in-depth analysis of that uh, coming up in the next couple of days. Uh, the women's team has now moved to seven and zero. They beat Toledo sixty to fifty nine in their tournament in Daytona Beach. They beat Fresno State sixty eight to forty nine, and they are actually playing Virginia. Or just finished up playing. Virginia, as we're recording in the Big Ten ACC Challenge. Uh, so that was at the BJC this evening. On Saturday, they will be playing Minnesota at 8.30 on the Big Ten Network. Uh, women's volleyball is uh, set to get ready for NCAA tournament play. Uh, they beat Northwestern 3-1, to one, and they also beat Purdue 3-2 to two on senior night. So they finished you know, on a high note for the season. They will be playing UMBC on Friday at 7.30 p.m. in Rec Hall for the first round of the NCAA tournament. The winner of that game will be playing Saturday at 6.30. It'll be either UCF or Riel in Rec Hall. So if you are in State College this weekend, you can uh, not only catch some women's volleyball, but you can also catch some men's hockey uh, men's hockey moved to 13 and three on the season. They're up to number six in the college hockey rankings. They beat Alaska Fairbanks in a close game, uh, three to two and two to one in their series. So two one goal wins after a uh, tough weekend series against Michigan State. This weekend they will be playing Ohio State at 7 p.m. on Friday night and Saturday at 5:30, and that will be their annual Teddy Bear Toss game. So if you have a children and they want to, you know, throw some teddy bears to donate to uh, underprivileged kids, you know, so that way they can enjoy some gifts during the holiday. That is a really awesome uh, event that Penn State does every year. So definitely an event worth supporting. Women's hockey is number twelve in the rankings. They moved to eleven, eight, and one. They were in Las Vegas this past weekend. They lost to number three Minnesota five to one. And then they came back the next day and beat Boston 3-0. They play Saturday and Sunday this weekend versus Syracuse at 1 p.m., both days in Pagula Ice Arena. So not only will you have women's volleyball and men's men's hockey, you will have women's hockey this weekend in Pagula Ice Arena. And on Friday, 
Penn State Wrestling will be at Ryder, and then they will continue their weekend series at Lehigh on Sunday. Uh, Andrew, what of those sports speaks out to you? Oh, man. I mean, there's so many. It's just awesome to hear all these uh, Nittany Lion squads doing big things. Um, Carolyn Keeger is doing an amazing job with the women's basketball program so far this season. Uh, there was a lot of excitement around her coming to State College. It uh, seems like she's really got that team uh, moving in the right direction, um, especially after Coach Washington uh, led the Lady Lions to so many great seasons. I remember um, watching her squad uh, do really great things at the Big Ten, so it's awesome to see them uh, kind of returning to prominence. And then just hockey, doing big things. Love the fact that uh, you know both men's and women's hockey are having really great seasons so far. I mean, Penn State hockey, when they're ranked within like the top 15 and top 10, I mean, I haven't gone to as many games as you have uh, in Pagula Ice Arena, but when the team is good and the competition is good, I mean, that atmosphere in there is just second to none. So I think it's just, it's going to lead to some really exciting games uh, down the stretch here. Um, and then of course, volleyball. Um, this is when Penn State volleyball shines, you know, it's a uh, tournament time, um, looking to maybe make a deep run to like the elite eight or maybe the final four. So, uh, you know, going to be interesting to see, but, uh, overall just excited that Nittany Lions continue to do Nittany Lion things. Yeah. And they are doing great things. Uh, unfortunately basketball, uh, women's basketball did lose tonight. They did lose 89 to 68 versus Virginia, but I'm sure they're going to bounce back this weekend at Minnesota. They are seven and one. So this is, uh, you know, one of the better women's Nittany Lion teams that, that we've seen in the past couple of years. Right. All right. So um, the season is over. Penn State is 10 and 2. They did beat our, our season predictions. We, we both predicted them to be 9 and 3 this season. So overall, yep. a, a lot of positive this, positives this season. So we're going to go through some season grades. We can reflect back on or I will reflect, we will reflect back on where we had them at midseason and see if they made improvement. Uh, and we'll start off with the quarterback position. So, Andrew, where did you rank Sean Clifford and Drew Allar in the second half of the season? So I've got them at a solid B+. Plus. Um, you know, they've, uh, they haven't made enough mistakes throughout the second half of the season to really say that they've hurt the team more so than... Uh, other aspects have and like games that may have been closer than others. So, you know, I think that they showed some really smart decision-making. Um, I thought that uh, obviously Drew Aller showed some, some great flashes of what he's capable of as a, as a talented, highly touted quarterback coming out of high school. I think that Sean Clifford also um, had some really nice moments down the stretch, especially in this last game against Michigan state uh, dropping in four touchdown passes against only five incompletions the entire game. So all in all, I think that they've done a pretty solid job um, over the second half of the season. So I go with B plus. Yeah. So I went with a regular B. I did have the quarterback position at a B plus kind of the one thing for me that did bring it down was the Ohio state game where Sean Clifford did have four turnovers. And I, I really feel like that cost them the game. However, outside of that Ohio state game, I thought Sean played really well for the most part and you know did a much better job of taking care of the football. He was lights out this past weekend against Michigan State on senior day. Uh, but yeah, that Ohio State game really just brought it down for me a little bit. So I got yeah. I, I brought them down from a B plus to a B. Yeah, that's fair. Yeah, so 
you know, another position we're going to go over is the running back position. And I think this is a position that actually got better through, throughout the year. So I moved the running backs from an A minus to an A. We only had one turnover, I believe, from the running back position. I believe that was the Nick Singleton fumble at Rutgers, if I'm not mistaken. But other than that, they've taken care of the ball. This team established a new identity running the football, and that became kind of the bread and butter of their offense. Uh, What are your thoughts on the running back position? I also have had them moving from an A- minus to an A. Um, I think that Nick Singleton and Catron Allen have have established themselves as a really dynamic and effective duo at the running back position. Uh, Both of them have unique styles in how they approach the running game, but they both complement each other so well. And, um, you know, Catron especially, you know, he looks like a guy that could be the bell cow back at just about anywhere in the country. But we have the benefit of having a guy like Nick Singleton who – also could be a bell cow back, but is uh, kind of more that lightning in a bottle type of running back where you f- you give him a little bit of space, uh, just a tiny bit of crease going around the edge, and he'll take it to the house almost uh, every time. So I, I think that Penn State is in great hands with both of these guys at running back. And of course, uh, Kevon Lee being in the mix as well. He's obviously an extremely talented guy, uh, dealt with some injury stuff this season, so hope to see him back uh, even as early as the bowl game. Uh, but I think that they have positioned themselves as a solid A. Yes, I agree with that grade. That is a is a perfect grade. All right, moving on to wide receivers. Uh, where where do you have the wide receivers at? So I had them at a B plus uh, at our mid season report cards, and I think I'm going to keep them put there. You know, I think that they've done some really great things, especially um, before Parker Washington got injured. He was looking like such a dynamic playmaker after the catch, and even after he uh, did go down with injury, I thought that Keandre uh, Lambert Smith and uh, Mitchell Tinsley really picked up that slack nicely to, uh, you know, make some of those extra plays downfield. I mean, Keandre, especially just really showing some nice flashes of, uh, after the catch bursts of speed and things like that. Um, I wouldn't say that they've been, you know, kind of like the difference maker in the passing game as much as uh, another position group that we'll talk about, which is kind of what kept them out of a territory for me. But, uh, you know, I think that they've been very solid in the second half of the season. We didn't, we're not talking about like any drops like we did in uh, like the season opener against Purdue and things like that. So I go with B plus. Yeah. My mid season report card, I had them at an a minus and I kept them at an a minus. Uh, they did really good against Ohio state. They put up 372 yards through the air, which is really good against a, a Buckeye defense. However, you know, once Parker Washington got hurt, they, they did struggle at times in the Rutgers game. You know, this might be a little biased due to Penn State establishing more of a rushing identity. And even this past weekend against Michigan State, you know, you saw a lot of Keandre Lambert Smith, but not really anyone else. They started to utilize the tight ends a little bit more. So that, that did take away from their target. So that might impact my grade a little bit. So, you know, they did, did get better with the drops. So overall, you know, saw some good things. You know, they weren't quite the strength of the team like they were earlier, but I still I still think the group deserves an A-. minus. Gotcha. All right, moving on to tight ends. What do you got? So for me, the tight ends, this is an A-plus group. Um, this is in my mind, the best position group 
of the offense, they're so dynamic, they're so effective, and they're so uh, complementary of each other in what they're good at between Brenton Strange, Theo Johnson, and now Tyler Warren that you know they've added um, new dynamics to the offense that we haven't seen from the Penn State offense in quite a bit of time. You know, we've we've had really good tight ends uh, in the past. Uh, you know, if you want to look at like Mike Kosicki, Pat Fryermuth, Jesse James, and others, but you know. Penn State hasn't had a group like this that's been so effective in the passing game, especially in the red zone, uh, but also being such a factor in the run blocking and being so good at the, so good at it to really spring these young guys, these young running backs loose for the big gains that they've been able to get. Um, so for me, you know, if I'm looking at other position groups on the offensive side, I kind of find myself measuring them against the tight ends. So for that reason, they have to get an A plus for me. Yeah, and I think that's fair. Uh, I didn't have them quite as high at the midseason. I had them at an A minus, and then I did raise it to an A. The reason I raised it to an A was because you really saw the emergence of Theo Johnson, you know, making big plays, especially, you know, deep down the field, which is really huge for this Penn State team to get some big explosive plays. Um, you had Tyler Warren, who would just seem to have clutch uh, touchdown catches in the red zone. However, Brendan Strange was a little bit more quiet. That's not necessarily his fault just because the the targets weren't there like they had been earlier in the season, but he's still a great player. Um, he, he received a, a Big Ten award as well, uh, third team, I believe. So, you know, he did some big things. So that's why I have the, you know, the tight ends at an A overall. They're, you know, really good. And I look forward to seeing how they do next year and in the upcoming bowl game. Yeah, I agree. I think they'll be uh sorry. Yeah, I I agree. I think they'll be a huge factor in this bowl game especially uh as they, you know, continue to uh be at their most productive selves offensively. Yep. Uh I agree as well. Uh moving on to the offensive line. This is my biggest grade and improvement. I had the offensive line at a C plus halfway through the <laughs> season. It just, you know, was frustrating at times to, you know, see Sean running for his life and we really struggled to establish the run game however uh when we started Catron allen things started to click he was very patient waiting for the blocks to develop the offensive line was uh giving sean more time to throw and things just you know, started looking really good and we got we really got the emergence of our freshman running backs and that doesn't happen if we don't have a good offensive line and like i said earlier in the beginning of the season, we will go as far as this offensive line takes us. And, you know, I was right. It, you know, these last four weeks have been awesome on this four game winning streak. They've been dominant after the Ohio state game. So I had to give these guys an A. Yeah. I also have an A, uh, for me, they rose from, uh, just a, a plain B to an A and it's for all the reasons that you mentioned, um, they were doing a much better job in both pass protection and in run blocking. Uh, we saw multiple games where the quarterback was not sacked. Uh, we saw nice running lanes opening up for those young guns, uh, to get up field in a hurry. So, you know, they've had, they've had marked improvement from years past. You know, we're not talking about the offensive line being this anchor for the offensive performance. Like we've talked about them in the past. So, you know, for those reasons, they deserve a ton of recognition. So that's why I also, give him an a yeah well i think these are some uh fair grades and we, we've agreed a lot on, on the grading system right um, overall right. i have this unit offensively at an a minus is it too high too low what do you think so 
I, I wouldn't say it's uh, it's unfair. You have him a little higher than I do. I have him at a B plus, and that's only because of uh, some of the slow starts and some of the uh, kind of stop and go uh, type of you know like production that we we saw from them in like the early goings of the Rutgers game, and then in the Michigan State game, we kind of saw like a slow first and third quarter, then like a good second and fourth quarter and stuff like that. So overall, I think that this group has been uh, very effective. I mean, they've been putting up points in bunches against uh, uh, some some decent teams. I mean, even against Ohio State, uh, they put up a lot of points. Um, so, you know, I think that this is a, a good group, just a little too inconsistent uh, for me to go into the a-, a territory, but I'm like right on the cusp. So I go with B+. Yeah, and I, I think that's a fair assessment overall. You know, against Ohio State, they did put up a ton of yards. However, they did have those uh, four turnovers, which ultimately bit them in the butt you know, right. when they were playing. So, uh, fair grade. Uh, I can't argue with the, with the B+. Moving on to the defense. Uh, we'll start at the defensive end position. Early in the season, I had them at a B+. However, I have upgraded them to an A+. And that is because of the emergence of the pass rush. Just the sacks since the Indiana game just seem to come in bunches. The tackles for losses. Uh, Andrew, am, am I right here? Oh, yeah, 100%. I uh, moved them from an A- minus to an A. And, you know, it's for those reasons that you just mentioned. Like, Chop Robinson and others um, at the defensive end position uh, just are really came on strong in the second half of the season to create some havoc in uh, the opposing backfield. I mean, we saw guys even like Nick Tarburton getting into the backfield early and often against Michigan State and in some other games. So, you know, it's not just Chop Robinson and Adisa Isaac. There, there's a lot of guys um, at that position group who are, who did some really great things for Penn State. So I got an A as well. Yeah, nice. Uh, moving on to defensive tackle. Uh, PJ Mustafer and company, what do you got for them? So at the midseason point, I had a B plus, but I'm also moving them to an A uh, just because of their ability to shut down the run, but also um, get into the offensive backfield themselves. I mean, we outside of PJ Mustafer, we heard names like Devon Ellis and uh, Koziah Izzard um, being talked about on the broadcast, uh, getting into the backfield and getting the quarterback on the ground and stuff like that. So, you know, it's not just PJ Mustafer that uh, they had to rely on to kind of fill that role this season. Um, you know, we all know what happened last season when PJ Mustafer went down against Iowa, like Penn state couldn't stop the run at all after that point. Um, that really isn't the case this season. So I think it's a really nice, um, indicator of how far along those guys have come in that position. So I feel really good overall about the defensive tackles, uh, moving into next season. And for now I have them at a. Yeah, especially since after the Ohio State game, the last four weeks, they were just wrecking havoc. And that's when you really saw the emergence of of the linebackers even. Uh, If those defensive tackles aren't eating up blocks, it's really difficult for the linebackers, you know, to get through and and make those tackles in in the open lane. So I I thought they did a really good job opening the lanes for the linebackers. And they were just suffocating the last week of the season in the run game. You had Michigan State only rushed for 25 yards. Like that, that's yeah. an insane stat. Like, right. You know, if, if I told you that fact and fiction, you, you, you would tell me I was insane. So <laughs> you know, kudos to, to the defensive line. They were definitely a strength down the stretch. And we hope that they are the strength down the stretch when we enter our bowl game. Yep. All right. Moving on to the linebackers. This was another area where we had a lot of young guys, but they showed a, a lot of growth on the season. You had guys like uh, 
Abdul Carter, Carter, Curtis Jacobs, Kobe King, uh, Jonathan Sutherland, Tyler Elston. Um, I moved this group from B plus to an A just because of you know, all the explosive plays of guys like Abdul Carter and Curtis Jacobs. Uh, what do you think this linebacker group earned? Vince, I'm surprised you didn't mention your guy, Dominic DeLuca, in oh, that Dominic uh, DeLuca. group. <laughs> yeah, he, he's an awesome guy. I was like, I'm missing someone. Who am I missing? And I, I feel so bad. He's like one of my favorite players. <laughs> right, right. But no, yeah, I'm I'm with you there. I moved him from a B also to an A. And, you know, it like there was some youth that showed itself earlier on in the season. Um, you know, I, I think the defense was kind of finding itself during the first half of the season. Manny Diaz was still figuring some things out with the pieces that he had on hand. But you know, the linebackers, not only have they been really good in uh, kind of stopping the run alongside those defensive tackles, they've also been super chaotic as far as uh, putting pressure on the quarterback and getting involved in uh, just sacking the quarterback a bunch of times too. I mean, how many times have we mentioned Abdul Carter's name over the past month as uh, just kind of an emerging name in college football, just looking like a bona fide number 11 quarterback for Penn state football. I mean, it's crazy to think that we're going to have him in state college for at least two more seasons. Um, so, you know, I think that they've shown themselves to have grown probably the most out of any position group, uh, maybe not even on the defense, but on the entire team, just given how much youth there was alongside Curtis Jacobs, who is a tremendous, uh, linebacker in his own right, um, really kind of showed some great stuff, uh, against, uh, Michigan state and some other teams as well. Um, so, you know, I think that they belong firmly in the a category as well. Yeah, I agree. And it was really awesome to see, uh, Carter and DeLuca both speak at the quarterback club and, it was cool to get to know them, uh, you know, as, as people off the field and, you know, they're both awesome dudes and, you know, really looking forward to, you know, see them improve. And hopefully Manny Diaz is here for at least another year so that he can help this, uh, this front seven who just really found themselves in November. Just, you know, hopefully they can build off that into the next season. Yep. Fingers crossed. All right. Moving on to the secondary. So the secondary, I, I was actually a little bit harder on the secondary at the cornerback position. I moved them from A plus to an A uh, down a little bit just because while they were, you know, really great against, uh, you know, teams like Rutgers and really solid against Michigan State, um, they did not get the job done against Ohio State. Uh, Michigan, you know, really didn't have any problems running the ball on us or, you know, passing it down the field. Um, what are your thoughts on my grade for the corners? Yeah, I, I think that's a fair assessment. Um, you know, like when you look at the passing numbers for Ohio State, I mean, they're pretty jarring. Um, but I think it's also important to take into consideration that Marvin Harrison Jr. has done that sort of thing to just about every team that he's played so far this season. So, you know, I think you, you got to take Ohio State with a little bit of a grain of salt um, as far as, you know, the whole the whole group's uh, performance is concerned. I think that there's been uh, a couple times like where we've seen guys not named um, Joey Porter Jr. Uh, getting beat on a couple of routes. So, you know, I, I don't want to say that this is like they've lost their lockdown status, but, you know, I do also have them moving from an A plus to an A. Uh, it might be a little too harsh uh, just because I guess we do expect so much of them because we've seen like what they're capable of doing against uh, half decent passing attacks. I mean, we, we saw them just absolutely smother Maryland, which is a, a half decent um, passing offense. And that was also due in part to a really effective pass rush and things like that. But, you know, I still also have them at, at a, at an A. Yeah. 
Yep, I, I agree. It's a good grade. Uh, moving on to safeties, I had them at, at an A as well. They they did some really nice things. I thought Jair Brown especially played really well down the stretch. Um, so, you know, they, they were very good. However, you know, didn't get the job done against, you know, the Ohio States and the Michigans. So, you know, that was a group I was hoping they would, you know, really shut them down so that, you know, the, you know, they, we could put more guys in the box. However, that just didn't happen. And we couldn't lean on that group enough to get the job done. Uh, and I, I, I was impressed that, you know, with how they did, you know, towards the end, you know, especially with uh, us sending more rushers, that obviously gives you, you know, a, a lot less, uh, you know, help you know, with guys in coverage. So I, I thought they did pretty well, but, I, you know, just because we didn't get the job done against, you know, Ohio State and that group of wide receivers, uh, I, I have to give them an A. Yeah, I'm in the same boat. Um, I think that Jair Brown is going to be somebody that Penn State football, like the team and the fans are going to miss next season because he does a little bit of everything for Penn State. Um, I, I know we also got some news uh, earlier today that Joey Porter – is going to be declaring for the NFL draft and he will be, you know, heading to the NFL next year. He won't be at the bowl game. So we're losing half of our second uh, starting secondary. So overall I have this uh, defense at an A, just like the uh, midpoint in the season. A uh, big part of that is because of just the improvement of front seven and the pass rush. And, you know, even after the Indiana game, they you know led the Big Ten in tackles for loss, and that continued throughout the end of the season. I, I can't see a, a team going ahead of them in that statistics. So overall, I got this uh, defense at an A. What do you have, Andrew? Yeah, I also have them at, a, at an A. I mean, they, this has been um, a consistent group. You know, this has been a unit that we've been able to rely on uh, down the stretch in the season um, in games like the Rutgers game and in the Michigan state game, when the offense was kind of trying to find its footing, get into some rhythm, the defense came out firing in both of those games, just uh, getting into the backfield early and often, just, uh, just a joy to watch them go to work and watch the exotic blitz packages that Manny Diaz was putting together. So yeah, I mean, this has been a really solid group. Um, you know, just uh, maybe maybe a few extra stops here and there, maybe an extra win in the season total, and they would have been an A plus. But I still think that they're a solid A. Yep, that's an absolutely fair grade. Moving on to special teams, uh, we'll start with Jake Penninger. So Ugh. early in the season, I had him out of C. Uh, after the bye week, he did start to play a lot better. He was making some big kicks. I thought he was playing good. Uh, however. Things all went wrong when I made a communion prediction that Jake Pinnegar would be perfect uh, against Michigan State. I I had faith in him. He was doing good. Got a little overconfident. Then he misses two field goals in his Beaver Stadium uh, finale for the season. So that brought him down from an A to a B for me, but still improvement from the first half of the season. What do you think, Andrew? Yeah, so I actually had him improving from midseason as well. I had him at a C plus in midseason and – uh, for this report card, I'm going with a, with a B minus. Um, I, I would say the the couple of missed field goals in that Michigan State game is really what brought it down for me as well. But um, I would also say that just kind of the inconsistency on some of the kickoffs, uh, just too many kicks going out of bounds for my liking. Um, you know, it, thankfully, I mean the defense was good enough to just snuff out any um, 
hope that the opposing offenses had, uh, even with half decent field position. Uh, but you know, I would like to see more of those kicks just go straight through the end zone, uh, for a touchback. I mean, uh, still don't really understand why we didn't have, uh, Gabe Nuosu doing more of the kickoff duties like we saw in the very beginning of the season. Um, you know, that's not really something that James Franklin had commented on, uh, too much. Uh, but you know, I, I still think overall Jake did, uh, you know, a, a serviceable job. Um, definitely had a nice November. Uh, those couple of missed kicks against Michigan State were potentially scary. Uh, so he gets a B minus from me. Sounds good to me. Uh, moving on to Barney Moore. Early in the season, I had this guy at an A plus. He just looked like a punt god out there. Uh, however, he certainly came down to earth in the second half of the season. You just didn't see as many of those kicks inside the you know five or ten yard line. Um, in the Rutgers game, I believe it was, he even got benched and you, you know, you saw I, Sonder, I think, kicking as the backup punter. Yep. So um, for me, that brought him down to a B plus, still solid overall. Wasn't like Tyler Pascarillo from, you know, 2015, like bad, but he was, he was solid. So I gave him a B plus. Yeah, I uh, I have him just a little bit higher at an A minus. I still thought that he was pretty solid. Um, you know the the game where he was just kind of in a funk and then was replaced by the backup and then came back in again and then dropped one like on the five. That kind of uh, weird inconsistency is what uh, kind of drops from A plus territory for me, uh, similar to what you just said. Um, you know, I, I would still I still put him in in the A category, but he's kind of on the precipice. But still, uh, solid A minus in my mind. Yeah, I think that's a fair grade. I originally had A minus, and then I was like, can I give a guy an A that got benched? Uh, so I was like, <laughs> no, I don't think so. So I'll put him out of B plus because, you know, he is solid and the talent's definitely there. Uh, but, you know, just from a performance perspective, uh, I do have to go B plus since he did get benched. Overall, I had these guys at a B in uh, the midseason. Uh, I think Penninger got better. Barney Moore maybe took a step back, but I think I'm going to move this group up to a B plus. And a big reason I, I think I'm going to do that and kind of lean up a little bit with my grading is because of that awesome Nick Singleton touchdown run. We've been yep. waiting years for a kickoff return for a touchdown. Uh, I don't think we've seen that since Saquon Barkley. So, you know, to be able to see shades of Saquon again, it brought happiness to my heart and I, I round them up to a B plus. Yeah, good stuff. I also had him at, at a B plus uh, for the uh, season finale report card. Um, I had him at an A uh, and the, at the midseason, and that's just because of just how awesome Barney and Moore was at punting. Uh, but, you know, the, the reason why they're not a uh, just a plain B or a B minus in my mind is because of Nick Singleton and that singular play, because, you know, that's the kind of um, like game breaking ability that we haven't seen since Saquon, like you just said. And, you know, on that one run in particular, you could just tell that once he found the seam that he wanted, he just took it to another level. Like he just hit another gear, just turned on the jets and just nobody was catching him at that point. So it's, uh, it adds a little something extra to this Penn state team. When you got a guy like that, who is a danger to take it to the house like that, you know, can just flip a game on its head or just really establish Penn state in the driver's seat in any given game. So it just adds a little something extra uh, to a team that, you know, is still looking to get over the hump of like Michigan and Ohio state in the big 10, but on the college landscape overall, like that's, that's just uh, stuff that you can't uh, take for granted. So they also get a B plus from me. 
Uh, moving on to Coach Franklin and his performance. So, you know, Franklin did do better than we thought he would do at the beginning of the season. This team is sitting at 10 and 2, not 9 and 3. Uh, I gave him an A minus midway through the season. However, for me, that grade did not change. And uh, the reason why it's an A minus, uh, we beat the teams we were supposed to beat, and we did not beat Michigan or Ohio State. Michigan. We kind of got a thumping. Wasn't too happy about that. I was hoping it would have been a lot more competitive. Ohio State, that one just slipped away uh, at home when I, I felt like that was a really good chance for Penn State to pull off the upset and potentially even leave them in the uh, college football playoff race. You, you see Ohio State sitting there at number five right now, and that's a leap we've been waiting for Penn State to make from great to elite. So that is why I have Coach Franklin at an A minus. We win the games we're, we're supposed to win. However, we did not have any wins over ranked teams this season. Yeah, I also have him at an A minus. Uh, I had him at a B plus um, at the midseason point, um, and I have him at an A minus because, like you said, Penn State won the games that they were supposed to win. Uh, but at the same time, you know, they didn't really let any of the games uh, become interesting. And what I mean by that is that, you know, maybe outside of Michigan State for just a little bit, Penn State was in the driver's seat for pretty much the entire game against all of the games um, outside of Ohio State and Michigan. Like we talked about like Indiana being a little interesting, just given some of the history there. We've talked about uh, Maryland being potentially interesting, given, you know, Talia Tagovailoa's ability and uh, Mike Loxley and that offensive group like liking to throw the ball around like none of it mattered and uh you know so i think that meant that that just means something in the fact that the coaching uh got these guys ready to play that all starts at the top so for me um franklin also gets uh an a minus you know i thought that this was a, a pretty good year for him uh looks like we both agree moving on to mike your chitch uh your sitch um so early in the season i had him at a b plus the running game wasn't get going wasn't getting going. The offensive line wasn't getting that push. However, that really turned around, especially in November. You know, the offense was clicking. The offensive line was dominant. You just saw Katron Allen and Nick Singleton running everywhere. So I had to bump him up from a B plus to an A minus. However, we did not do a good enough job taking care of the football against Ohio State only put up uh, 17 points against Michigan. So I had to go a minus. I couldn't go higher than that. What do you think? Yeah, I also have an a minus. Um, there were just some wrinkles thrown into the offense that I thought uh, really added something uh, to the playmakers that they have, especially at tight end and at running back that um, really just to me uh, just looked like Penn state was making the most of the guys who uh, could do the most damage offensively. Um, I think that Yursich has done a pretty good job with Clifford um, outside of a couple isolated incidents. Um, instances and games and things like that just uh you know finding the open man just uh moving the offense uh down the field with uh with good efficiency and things like that so you know i think that um at the in the beginning of the season we were kind of wondering like okay well why are we getting a lot of improvement from a mike Yursich offense in year two but at the end of the season now i think we have seen that improvement so he uh moves from a b to an a minus for me all right, great stuff. And yeah, I, I also think, you know, the improvement of the tight ends and using them better, you know, in the scheme, I think that helped a lot as well. So 
Congrats to him for, for making those improvements. Yep. All right, moving on to Manny Diaz. I had him at an A early in the season. A lot of that was due to the secondary. However, it was kind of a little bit of a role reversal. We had uh, our front seven just being dominant and wrecking havoc, especially in the month of November. You just saw the tackles for losses and sacks just all over the place. You know, a lot of that's due to the scheme and him drawing up these exotic blitzes where teams like Indiana, Rutgers, Michigan State, Maryland, they could just not figure out what was coming at them. They had Penn State's, uh, you know, only shut out of the year, 30 to nothing against Maryland. That was a great game. And if they close out the game against Ohio State and play good, great football for uh, 60 minutes instead of 50, you know, you're looking at an A-plus for Manny Diaz. However, since we did not pull off that Ohio State game at home, I I have to leave him at an A. What do you think, Andrew? I'm in agreement. Yeah, it's uh, it's an A, but it's a solid A. Penn State uh, is very lucky to have Manny Diaz uh, on the squad in replacement of Brent Pry, who, of course, went to Virginia Tech. I mean, this defense um, has just kind of evolved itself into this sack-happy, just chaos inducing defense that offensive coordinators just have fits trying to figure out, um, you know, because not only now do you have to deal with a slew of cornerbacks that are very good in man coverage, you also have to deal with um, just they're always being seemingly an unblocked rusher coming after the quarterback um, in the likes of Top Robinson and Abdul Carter and Nick Tarburton and a bunch of others. You even have like corners and safety blitzes coming in in there. I mean, it's like, like, what do you do if you're an offensive coordinator? So for that reason, Manny Diaz deserves a lot of credit. Um, I think that, uh, you know, I agree that in some of the, uh, you know, some of the marquee Big Ten games where Penn State got ran over or, um, you know, kind of sliced and diced a couple of times. That's what keeps him out of a plus territory for me. But I still think an A is a really, really good grade for a good, uh, for a really great, uh, coordinator. Yeah, I agree. And, uh, he did a great job, especially for coming into year one. And he really figured out these guys pretty quickly. It, it only took him about, you know, eight games into the season. And that last month of November, if you just count those last four weeks, it's an easy eight plus for Manny Diaz that the defense was incredible, clear strength. Of the team front seven came alive and you got those awesome guys in the secondary. So, you know, all in all, I think these are you know good grades for the coaching staff and uh, you know, hopefully we get to have them all in happy Valley next year. Moving on to some other awards that uh, I have uh, for the most underrated player award. I have Sean Clifford, uh, he, outside of that one really bad Ohio State game with the four turnovers, he was really good throughout the course of this season. And even in that game where he did have four turnovers, he threw for over 370 yards. So I thought he was very underrated. You had you know some of those fans booing him. Uh, and you know his veteran leadership was really key in the season for the success of Penn State. 10-2. and two, being ranked at number eight at the end of the regular season. It it is a great achievement for Penn State football, especially being unranked at the beginning of the season to just get into the top 10 at the end. You know, I think speaks great volumes about, you know, the coaching staff and the ability to recruit and the players to execute on the field. So what are your thoughts on my most underrated player for Penn State? 
I think it's spot on. And I think you could uh, say underrated and underappreciated. Like, uh, you know, Sean, for the most part, did a really solid job this season. I think you hit on an interesting point with his veteran leadership. You know, we're talking about a, a lot of young guys um, offensively, like not only in Catron Allen and Nick Singleton, but along the offensive line as well. Like you're talking about a lot of new faces that uh, were in that offensive unit. And my dad actually had a pretty good point um, in our last Bill and Fred's excellent tailgate segment where he said that Sean Clifford kind of provides a calming presence. And I think that's actually pretty true because he just really did not get phased by anything. Didn't seem like he got too high or too low. And, you know, cause I, he's just a guy who's been there for so long that, you know, he just knows how to kind of navigate um, the emotional roller coaster of a college football game. So I think that he was, um, a great shepherd not to get like too profound with this uh, for Penn State football and these young playmakers to kind of go into 2023 and uh, was a really great mentor to um, to Drew Aller and you know just kind of showing him the ropes uh, showing him the way that he prepares and stuff like that um, you know I think that's going to pay tremendous dividends it's, you know he com- I think he's also a guy who's like smart enough and has enough emotional intelligence to understand kind of the dynamics of a guy like Drew Auer coming into the program and having a lot of uh, people wanting him to start. Like he didn't really, it didn't seem like he let that get to him. And so he performed his, uh, his role and his, um, you know, performed to the best of his abilities uh, almost every week. So I think that deserves a ton of credit just for his mental fortitude. Uh, So yeah, Vince, I think that uh, that's an excellent, uh, winner for said award yeah and not only that sean clifford has a great sense of humor when keandre lambert threw that dime you know with the hand in his face he hit theo johnson in stride he he said to keandre during the game hey come on man i got drew trying to steal my job i don't need you coming too (laughs) (laughs) right so yeah awesome guy i'm gonna miss him i'm ready to see uh what drew lar can do but you know definitely gonna miss sean he's uh, one of the better quarterbacks that Penn State has ever had. Uh, he won us the Cotton Bowl. Yeah, that might take us to another New Year's Six game. We'll we'll see if we're fortunate enough to get in there. I think we will, depending on thing, how things shake out. Um, and another stat is he's the most accurate passer in Penn State history, like the highest completion percentage. And people are booing this guy, like. It's like, come yeah. on, guys, what are you doing? Like, he has right. the highest completion percentage in Penn State history. Yeah. I mean, it's uh, it's it's funny, like, when you look at it in context, because I remember watching football games there as a student when Matt McGoin and Rob Bolden were switching in and out of the quarterback position, and Penn State didn't know, like, who they were going to have under center. So it's like, you know, we might all be excited for Drew Aller, but we should definitely appreciate Sean Clifford more. Yeah, and I'm really happy we do have him for one more game. I know, I know, I was definitely in that. You know, Drew Alarbo. We need him to win a like a New Year's Six game, but I I think we can get it done to Sean. He's, uh, you know, had a he's rebounded really well from that Ohio State game. And for me, like again, you know, part of uh, being a fan is you get a little over over emotional, and I just couldn't stand the four turnovers, especially when the offense was moving down the field and the defense is playing so well against Ohio state, you know, for me that, that, you know, hurt my soul a little bit, but it was really nice to see him bounce back and really be awesome the last four weeks of the season. So, you know, credit to him. I'm excited to see him uh, lace up one last time for the blue and white. Yep. Same here. All right. Moving on to most improved. 
I kind of had a 1A, 1B here. You know, you have the offensive line and, you know, the front seven and the pass rush. However, I definitely have a deep felt appreciation for the offensive line. So I had to give them the most improved award. Uh, It was just so nice to, you know, have that pressure off of Sean and he could just hand off the ball to Katron Allen or Nick Singleton, and it got you four or five, 10 yards of carry. And it was so nice to see the offense methodically move down the field with ease, which is something we have not been used to. You know, as Penn State State fans in recent years, we've been more used to, uh, even in the, the past when we won the Big Ten Championship, you were used to seeing Saquon just making guys miss, and Miles Sanders dancing around, making guys miss, and getting those explosive runs. But also having a lot of negative runs. You did not right. see nearly as many negative runs, especially in that last half of the season. So I had to give this award uh, to the offensive line and the big uglies up front. They earned it. Oh my God, 100%. I mean, you can, you could even talk about like most improved unit for Penn State football in the past five years, and it would probably go to this offensive line. I mean, they became such a staple for the offense going into the final third of the season. I mean, like we're talking about, you know, the, the emergence of like the running game and the effectiveness of the tight ends and stuff like that. Like none of that happens without the offensive line. And uh, you know, what's even more impressive with their performance down the stretch is that they did a lot of that without their best player. Olu Fashionu, we haven't seen him um, since he got injured. I uh, forget in what game, but you know we saw Drew Shelton in the last couple of games, and he I thought did a pretty good job at left tackle. And so you know they were shifting some guys around, but they were still uh, performing very well. Um, you know we saw a couple of sacks in that game against Michigan State. Um, you know, but that was really kind of the only blip on the radar in my book uh, for what was a really great second half of the season for a particular like player or position group. So Vince, I think you're 100% spot on. All right. Excellent. I'm happy you're agreeing with me a lot more on this podcast than the last one. (laughs) All right. Moving on to offensive MVP. Um, This might come as a little bit of a surprise, but I thought our offensive MVP was Katron Allen. He was just so patient. Once he kind of got that starting role, I noticed that the offense seemed to move down the field better. I think Nick was actually able to pick up some tips from him and observing his patience. And you always see those two guys on the sideline together, whether it be practice or at the game, they're always talking about, Oh, what coverage are they playing? What defense are they doing? And, you know, trying to exploit the other team's defense. So I think, you know, both of them work together, but just uh, Katron's ability to be really patient and not take hardly any runs for loss and always move three, four yards forward. um, I had to give him this award. You know what? I uh, there, there's probably a couple of names that I'd pick out of a hat here, but I still think I would probably arrive at Katron Allen as well. Um, you know, Penn State. Uh, you know, when when we think about prolific runners of the football, you just mentioned Saquon and Miles. Like those are guys who you know we saw. Um, you know, kind of do the take it to the house every time uh, that, or like you know, you saw these guys try to take it to the house every chance that they got. And, you know, we saw a little bit of a shift when Noah Kane came to town. 
all of a sudden you saw a guy who was, uh, you know, looking to get that four or five yards every single run, um, never fall back for negative yardage sort of thing. And, you know, unfortunately he dealt with some injury stuff and, uh, ended up leaving the program. But then I think you saw kind of the reemergence of that running style in Catron Allen. And I think that for as young as he is, he picked up the game very quickly. He was able to kind of apply a lot of his strengths with his his balance, his vision, and his patience um, to an offensive line that was uh, really kind of finding itself toward the midpoint of the season and just kind of taking off from there. Um, I thought they complemented each other beautifully. And I think that Catron, you know, just kind of showed that he was going to take the yards that were given to him, but he was also going to break some tackles as well. You know, we saw a lot of uh, broken tackles in the game against Rutgers and even in uh, against like Indiana and some other games. So, I mean, he looks like a a really solid back that you can rely on. Um, Didn't really have any um, like, fumbleitis or anything like that. I mean, I think he put it on the ground against Northwestern once, but then again, everybody put it on the ground in that game. Yeah. Uh, <laughs> so I, I think that, uh, yeah, I think that's a, a very, a very worthy winner of the, uh, the MVP award. All right. Uh, moving on to defensive MVP. Uh, this one was, you know, a little more difficult. Uh, however, I ended up going with Abdul Carter. Uh, those last four games, he was just like, like a missile over the field and just hitting the gaps. It seemed like he was always making the right decision. Lots of tackles for loss, lots of sacks. Uh, So I ended up giving him the MVP. You just seeing that 11 out there makes you think of Micah Parsons and, you know, just gets you excited thinking of those memories. Uh, Was I right, Andrew, with Abdul Carter, or would you give someone else the defensive MVP? You know what? I mean, like, obviously, there's there's so much hype and so much so much excitement around Abdul, and rightfully so. In my mind, I'd probably put him at one B, and um, you know, it's a very close one B. But the guy that I'd have at one A is Jair Brown, Mm -hmm. and the reason why I'd put him there is just because of his um, kind of do it all ability for the Penn State defense, because he led the team in tackles and interceptions, and he was getting involved in those blitzes as well, coming down uh, for some of those safety blitz packages, and just was just you know, kind of had a nose for the football, um, never seemed to like get a play or never seemed to let a play really go over his head was like limiting, uh, the big play wherever he could. So I just thought that he was such a consistent, strong presence for the Penn state defense all season long. So that's why he'd get it. He, that's why he'd get, uh, that's why he gets the defensive MVP award from me, but I definitely can't fault you for giving it to Abdul. Yeah. And Jair Brown was definitely my one B and I thought about giving it to him. Uh, you know, it was really close between you know him and Abdul, but yeah, I definitely got caught up in the the eleven and the uh, the Micah Micah Parsons. Uh, I guess mystique, you know, to it. I don't know if that's the right word. Well, I mean, but, uh, yeah, it's like how could you not though? I mean, the guy the guy just looks prolific. He just uh, just it, it just seems like he can get into the backfield at will. <laughs> like yeah. that's that's rare stuff. Yeah. Uh, do Do you want to know a funny story? Yeah. So um, Abdul Carter, originally when he came to Penn State, he wanted uh, the number 22 because that's what he wore in high school, right? Oh, okay. And that's, uh, you know, Capaletti's number. And when he asked Coach Franklin to to get it, you know, Coach Franklin was like, you can't have that number. It's retired. And he's like, what do I have to do to earn this? And he's like, it's retired. (laughs) So like, um, you know, that that was really funny. you know, to, to hear about. And uh, 
I think it would. I think he should get to wear number twenty-two if he wins a Heisman. <laughs> yeah, you know what? Yeah, we we can make that a universal rule at Penn State that if you win the Heisman Trophy, you can wear just about any number you want. Like, I think that would be such like a cool thing since like he's the only one, and his I think he's the only number that's retired at Penn State. Yeah, so it is. I, I think I, I think that would be really cool to be like you are a Heisman and you come back to Penn State, you get to wear number 22. I, I, I think that'd be really awesome. So what about in two years when Drew Auer wins a Heisman? Would he then come for his, uh, like the next season as number 22 as the quarterback? Hey, I, I wouldn't complain if we had him an extra year. <laughs> yeah, agreed. But uh, now that that is funny that he would like so desperately want this number, but then just end up wearing like the most iconic linebacker number for Penn State. Yeah, yeah, absolutely. All right, uh, moving on to, so I had a, a, an award for the most fun player to watch. And for me, that had to be uh, Nick Singleton. Just seeing those ex- ex- several explosive runs against Auburn and, you know, the kickoff return for the touchdown and kind of giving you shades of, uh, you know, guys like uh, Saquon and Miles Sanders. I, I He kind of reminds me a lot of Miles Sanders, especially with how he's running on the Eagles right now and, you know, for me, I just had so much fun watching him this year and look forward to watching him in the bowl game in the upcoming year. So I give that award to Nick Singleton. Yeah, good stuff. I mean, I, it's very easy to give it to him. I would actually give this one to Abdul. Um, you know, I think that in the second half of the season, just seeing him on the field and just watching where he was, I haven't really done that um, since Micah and since a couple of other like linebackers, um, you know, I think that, you know, that's the kind of stuff that is exciting for fans, but it's also just so cool to see, like from a defensive coordinator position, uh, perspective, like just seeing how they utilize a player with that much versatility and that much skill and speed. So for me, he was the most exciting player to watch, uh, you know, probably in the second half of the season, if I had to go like for the full season it would be very close between him and uh and nick singleton i mean nick has just done so many things um you know not only in just the the running game obviously but in the return game as well that uh yeah i mean it's always exciting to watch a guy who is uh is a touchdown uh or is just like two steps away from a touchdown every time he touches the ball yep i agree i agree the reason i I gave nick singleton the the edge is because Usually it's a little bit more fun when you're, you're seeing your team score. So offense gets a little bit of that bias. So that's fair. Yeah, that's I, fair. I, I think for me, that's that's what put Nick just over the edge of Abdul. But, you know, those guys are competitive. So, uh, you know, I'm sure they'll be wanting that top spot and give us another good competition next year. Right. Uh, moving on to the best special teams player. Uh, I have Barney and Moore, uh, you know, even though he, he kind of came down to earth a little bit you know, later in the season at times. Really great punter. Uh, when Jordan Stout graduated, I was just you know scared for my life. Uh, what is what is Penn State special teams going to look like? Is it going to be like a you know, Tyler Pascarilla where the ball goes twenty five yards down the field? You know, from Jordan Stout's uh, you know seventy yard punts or whatever they were. Um, and you know he did a great job. A lot of kicks inside the ten. So I, I had to give this award to Barney Moore. Good stuff, man. Yeah, he's a worthy winner here. Uh, The name that I'm going to go with here might be a little um, obscure for some Penn State fans. I'm going to give this one to Chris Stahl, 
the long snapper, who is a finalist for the Manly Award for the nation's best long snapper. And the reason why I give it to him is because we didn't hear his name called all season. You know, we you hear all or, you know, you see in any given game those disastrous snaps that go over the punter's head or go over the holder's head on a field goal attempt and stuff like that. And then all of a sudden it just flips a game on its head. Uh, you lose a ton of momentum and stuff like that. Or, you know, the other team takes it, uh, scoops it up and takes it the other way for a touchdown or something like that. That didn't happen for Penn state. And, uh, so I think crystal deserves a lot of recognition and credit for that. So that's why I'll give him, uh, that's why I'll give him this award, uh, from my side. Yeah, I, I think you're right. That's definitely a, a fair candidate for the award. And, you know, when you're being recognized for, you know, award that only three people are nominated for, you know, in the entire country, uh, yeah, definitely an award. I do think hunting is, a little bit harder than long snapping because you have to worry about like getting backspin on the ball and, you know, slowing it down and, uh, you know, all those tricks you have guys coming at you, but, um, you know, long snapping is not necessarily easy. And, uh, you know, it's a quote, uh, you know, uh, a former commentator, I think it was a Fox commentator's comment about Ryan Kaiser saying he was so good at holding field goals and he was like a magician. Uh, Chris Stahl was definitely a magician at the long snapper position. All right, moving on to some statistic awards. Uh, joining the 1K Club, we have not only Nick Singleton. He got in rather easily. He had 943 rush yards and 85 receiving yards. He got over 1,000 yards. But Katron Allen made the 1,000-yard uh, mark by two yards. He needed 102 yards from scrimmage against Michigan State. And he got 104, just edging it out. So... Uh, both of those those guys are in the 1,000 yard club, and yep, great achievement. Two freshmen, and we got them for two more years. How lucky are we? I mean, Penn State fans should be counting their lucky stars because um, you know Penn State fans uh, or Penn State football very rarely gets freshman talent like this that makes an immediate impact. I mean, the only names that I can really think of that fit that description really are like. Derek Williams back in like 2005 and you could even like put Saquon in that conversation even though he was kind of like coming on and then it was his sophomore season where he really took off so you know just the fact that we have guys like that you know not only just one but multiple true freshmen who made a difference for Penn State like that's just rarefied stuff yeah and yeah hope I hope that seeing these guys emerge uh that that really you know reaches out to those other five-star recruits so we can continue to build and, you know, compete with the Ohio States. And I feel like Michigan's kind of getting up there and competing with Ohio State. So if we can just keep those five stars rolling in and they see more of these freshmen getting playing time and, and doing big things, hopefully it attracts more of the talent and you can see Penn State, you know, playing for a college football playoff. Um, of course, it's probably going to happen. We'll probably be in the top four when like, there's 12 teams that get accepted and we don't need to be in the top four. <laughs> dude, dude. If we, so if we can crazy. get to that uh, stat, that would be that area of greatness. That'd be awesome. So crazy timing on that comment, because I was waiting to drop this on you when we had uh, kind of a break in our discussion points. So some actual breaking news that's happening as we're recording this, the Rose bowl has agreed uh, to, they, They've put in or they've signed their agreement to allow a 12 team playoff in the year 2024. Hell yeah, let's do it. So, two yeah. years, Penn State's going to be in the top four. I guarantee it in two years <laughs> because 
we've been in the in the top 12 for so many times and not gone to the college football playoff. I guarantee you we are in the top four in 2024. You know what? And uh, I'll take first that. one to call it <laughs> first one to call it first. one. Yeah. Yeah. So we'll, yeah, we'll, we're going to, we're going to remember this for posterity and uh, in two years time, we're going to be like, well, Vince called this one, but yeah. So I think that's uh, just an interesting tidbit of information, especially, uh, you know, since Penn state quote unquote should be in position uh, in a 12 team field um, in a couple of years, just given the likes of, you know, like our singleton and uh, Allen to uh, develop and kind of grow in their, respective positions. Yep. Cause that'll be their junior year after that, the draft eligible. So I'm saying that year, um, we are top four. We are big 10 champions. All right. All right. Uh, moving on. So I have the accuracy award here that obviously goes to Sean Clifford. He broke the Penn state record for being the most accurate passer in Penn state history. So I had to give that to him. I also had a special award called the lawn boys award. The Lawn Boys are back. Nick Singleton led the team with 900, 941 yards. So he earned that for me. The next award I have is the Yak Master. So I gave this to the player who had the most yards per catch. Andrew, do you know what Penn State player had the most yards per catch? Uh, hey, I mean, it's got to be Parker Washington, right? Not Parker Washington. It was actually... Do you want to take another guess? Hmm. Um, most yards per catch. Um, I'm actually going to go on a limb and say Catron Allen. I feel like he just had tremendous yardage uh, when you look at uh, the few number of catches he had on the season. So the leader with 15.8 yards per catch was actually Theo Johnson. 19, uh, 19 catches for 300 yards. Yeah, yeah, that makes sense. <laughs> yeah, he was so, he, he was becoming such a downfield passing threat down the stretch of the season. Yep. Uh the guys there was a three-way tie for second at 13.3. You had Harrison Wallace, Parker Washington, and then uh Dinkins, the tight end, he had uh four catches for 53 yards. Yeah, interesting. Okay. Yeah, so yeah, fun little stat there. He had the most yards per catch. Excited to see him next year. Uh, moving on to our uh, red zone threat. I gave the award to the player with the most receiving touchdowns. Andrew, who do you think earns this award? Uh, Brenton Strange. You are correct. He led the team with five touchdowns. And uh, an interesting stat I have for you here is the tight ends actually had more touchdowns than the wide receivers this year. So Penn State had 27 passing touchdowns. You had 13 to the tight ends, 11 to wide receivers, and three to running backs. Yeah, you know, I, honestly, that uh, just from the eye test, that kind of makes sense. Um, you know, it didn't seem like uh, uh, Penn State was too quick to run the ball like when they were inside the 10 which I mean I don't really mind because they were doing it quite effectively um you know it, it wasn't really until that Rutgers game where we saw Katron Allen just move that whole pile of human beings into the end zone <laughs> uh where we saw a bunch of uh running backs kind of getting into the end zone uh from like 10 yards and in so yeah I guess that uh oh like oh all in all for me that makes sense all right good stuff 
the next award I have is the Bobby Engram Award. This goes to the player. Uh, he had the most pa- uh, receiving yards in Penn State history. So that was obviously going to go to Parker Washington. He had 611 receiving yards this year. So he had, uh, you know, he's the winner for that award. Uh, the runner-up was Mitchell Tinsley. He had 528. Moving on to my next award, the Tackling Machine Award. Uh, this goes to the player who had the most player or the most tackles on the Penn State defense. Andrew, do you know who got this one? Yeah, it's Jair because uh, that's why he got the defensive MVP for me. He had uh, 66 tackles, right? You are correct. 66 tackles. All right, moving on to the Sack Master Award. Who had the most sacks for Penn State this year? Oh, man, that's uh, that's tough. I mean, uh, gosh, um, I feel like it's got to be Abdul Carter, right? You are correct. Six and a half sacks for Abdul Carter. Yeah. Your, your runners up were uh, Adisa Isaac and Chop Robinson with four each. Oh, nice. Okay. All right. So the next award I have here is the uh, Linebacker U Award. And this was uh, pretty close for me. Uh, between Curtis Jacobs and Abdul, but I, I had to go with Abdul Carter. You know, he's wearing 11. Uh, Curtis Jacobs have, has the chain. So definitely 1A, 1B uh, type of award for me, but I just have to go with Abdul Carter. Just the talent he has is is just crazy to watch on the football field. Yep, agreed. All right, uh, moving on to our next award. This I call this the uh, Swarm Award. That means this person was all over the field. So this player had the most assisted tackles of anyone on the team. So uh, they didn't necessarily have the most solo tackles, but they had the most assisted. Who was that player? Huh, man, that's, that's tough. Um, I'm going to go with a linebacker. Um, I'm going to go with Curtis Jacobs. You are correct. Curtis oh, Jacobs. nice. Curtis Jacobs assisted on 22 tackles. Uh, the runners-up were Abdul Carter and Kobe King. They also assisted on 20. And also, uh, Curtis Jacobs had the uh, only you know uh, pick six of the season for Penn State. So right. you know, that, that definitely goes in that swarming-type territory. Oh, totally. All right. Uh, next award, the Turnover King Award. Who forced the most turnovers for Penn State? I guess I got to go with the... Uh... Jair Brown, because he led the team in interceptions. Um, I'm pretty sure he caused a fumble or two um, at points during the season. Um, he didn't. He he did force that fumble on that kick return against Michigan State. So, am I right here? I'm impressed. You are correct. Uh, he <laughs> had three interceptions. He forced two fumbles, and he also had one fumble recovery for a touchdown. So, I, I counted that uh, as well. So, that was six turnovers that he took part in. Uh, yeah, so that was uh, great stuff from Jair Brown. Uh, moving on to the No Fly Zone Award um, or Lockdown U, uh, whatever you'd like to call it. Uh, which player on Penn State's defense had the most passes defense this year? I mean, it's got to be Kalen because uh, Joey didn't get the ball thrown enough to him to have that many passes defended. Kalen had a lot thrown his way, but he broke up a ton of them. So that's my guess. You are correct. He he took with the landslide. He had 15. Joey Porter Jr. was the runner-up. He had eight. And then you had Donnie, Johnny Dixon in third with seven. All right. And then our, our last award. Uh, I don't think you're going to have to guess who this one goes to. Uh, Tailgaters of the Year. 
has to go to uh, Bill Bird and Fred, Fred Pound Alfie. Oh, of course. Yeah, the uh, undisputed world champions of tailgating. Yep. Uh, every time I see the wise tailgate awarder, tailgater of the word game, I'm like, wrong, not even close. So that's because they haven't seen our guys yet. Yep. They haven't seen our guys. So, um, you know, they run an awesome tailgate. If you haven't been to a communion, just come to one, you'll come back. Uh, it's a great time and we love having people around. So hopefully it continues to grow over the years as uh, we grow, uh, you know, with the podcast and our uh, communion family. Yeah, and who knows, maybe at uh, future tailgates we'll have some merch to give away. So come join us for communion and maybe you'll walk away with a shirt. Maybe. All right, so those are all of our awards. Was there any that you wanted to hand out before we get to uh, Big Ten Awards? Any individual honors? You know, I, I think we hit on uh, just about all of them. Um, I would just say that, uh, you know, the the one that I think is the most important out of that whole group was that underrated award for Sean Clifford, um, you know, there's a reason why he is the leader in like passing yards and passing touchdowns and completion percentage and all these things. So everybody should remember him as a darn good quarterback for Penn state. I agree. Uh, these clowns who are going to be unhappy with one and potentially two new, new year's, uh, six bowl appearances or wins. Uh, you, you can't be too mad at that. Right. All right. Uh, moving on to the big 10, they recently released their, uh, player awards. Uh, probably the biggest one was Nick Singleton winning big 10 freshman of the year. So a uh, huge honor for Nick. Congratulations to him uh, and the offensive line for helping him get there. Yeah, for sure. I mean, it, I, I think it was probably an easy decision for the big 10 to award Nick because, you know, not only did he nearly reach a thousand yards rushing, um, when he didn't even lead the team in carries, but he obviously made a huge, uh, difference in the games um as a kick returner and and uh you know so just i think it was an easy decision for them yeah too easy uh moving on to the offense the highest honor went to olu fashano he was the second team all big 10 offensive tackle and boy do we get some good news this week uh he is a projected you know top 10 first round pick somewhere in that range and he is coming back to Penn State for the 2023 season. How exciting is this news? I mean, it's enormous, um, you know, because Penn State has some really great talent coming into the offensive line in this upcoming recruiting class, uh, you know, just along the lines of like your Drew Shelton's, your Landon Tangwalls, and obviously Olu Fashionu, um, given his emergence as a, as a special talent. Um, you know, so it would have been an easy decision for him to leave for the NFL. Uh, I'm not, you know, I don't want to speculate too much on the reasons why he decided to return to school, uh, you know, could be that he wants to still focus on his academics a little bit more. Maybe his parents wanted to stay in school a little bit longer, but whatever the case may be, I'm not going to complain. I think that he and this group have a chance to do something really special, uh, especially with a couple of playmakers in the backfield who just, you know, are just so dangerous with the ball in their hands. So once they clear a road for either one of them, um, they're going to be a huge part of Penn State's offensive success. Yeah, and uh, I hope that this is a, a trend that we continue to see, especially, you know, being me being a selfish Penn State fan. You know, we're really the ones that, that benefit from having Olu Fashanu back for another year. Uh, let's be honest, he could, you know, he could go to the NFL and make some money. Just, you know, his tools, athleticism and, you know, talent are just, you know, incredible. However, uh, you know, he's a great, great student as well. He, you know, exemplifies the values of Penn state. He wants to earn that degree. Um, 
And these NIL deals might keep guys in college longer. Uh, right. They're able to earn money, uh, you know, which is huge. They deserve to earn that money. And I think it's good because it almost incentivizes them a little bit to, you know, stay, stay at the university level. Um, you know, the only thing that worries me a little bit, you know, with like recruiting and stuff is that, you know, you know, another university gets desperate and, uh, you know, they say, okay, we'll get Penn State's giving you this much money. You know, we'll give you this much money and we get outbid for some players. And, you know, sometimes these players, I, I think Jordan Addison is a good example at USC. They're being promised some things, but then they, you know, don't sign that contract. And then, uh, you know, they're, you know, kind of out of luck a little bit, not being able to collect uh, what they wanted in terms of NIL money. Yeah, that's a that's a good point. I th- I think that NIL is um, kind of still a volatile area of college football in that you, you're still going to see a lot of changes coming with it. Some new regulations probably coming down the pipeline because it is we're still kind of in that wild wild west um, like phase of it where it's just kind of a monetary arms race. So you know, just as is the way of like the world and of college football, like there's going to be some rules and some regulations uh, put in place with uh, certain things like that. Probably some, um, some like fine print assurances for players as well. So you're going to see fewer instances of like Jordan Addison. And I think you're also going to see fewer instances of like your Texas A&M where it kind of seems like they just put together a boatload of money and then try to just like win their way to the sec and the national championship, like with the number one recruiting class that they put together. So I think that you're going to still see some changes coming through. Uh, you're going to see some changes with that over the next uh, couple of years, but you're right. It adds uh, an interesting dynamic to guys who want to stick around at Penn state for a little bit longer. Um, you know, it just, it just adds a little bit of um, you know, potential intrigue for them if they want to just kind of hang around, maybe uh, finish getting their degree um, and not take a break in doing so, but also make some money uh, while they're doing that. Yeah. And uh, you know, I think the regulations will help when they do come and it's a little bit wild right now. Uh, and let's be honest, it's, it's easy to, you know, trick, you know, some of these, you know, young adults and, you know, if they don't sign a contract, you know, and read the fine print it, you know, it can be, you know, a little easier to, uh, you know, trick guys like this than got NFL guys who have you know, agents who read all the fine print and understand all that, you know, type of material and, you know, etiquette, you know, that goes into a contract. So, uh, you know, I hope, hope we do get more regulations that way, you know, players like Jordan Addison are, are a little more covered. All right. So uh, we'll continue to move on with our, uh, you know, offensive honors on the third team. We had Nick Singleton, Drew Scruggs, Brenton Strange, and to finish off the honorable mentions, we had Clifford, uh, Parker Washington, Sal Wormley, Hunter Norzad, Katron Allen, and Bryce Effner. A lot of offensive linemen. Yeah, it's great to see. I mean, that if you want to look at uh, just some of the proof of the improvements, it's right there. Yeah, for sure. Do you think uh, anyone was left off the list that should have been on it? Uh, you know, I, I would say that um, a, like Theo Johnson probably should have should have been an honorable mention. Um, you know, I think that uh, I think Katron probably could have been an honorable mention as well. Just given. Oh, he, um, he, was. he was. Oh, he was. Oh, OK. Yeah. Sorry. Um, yeah. You know, I, I think that overall, that's a that's a fair list. Then I, you know, just knowing um, like who made all Big Ten on the defensive side, I think is where there's potentially a couple of uh, extra snubs. But on the offensive side, I think that, 
you know, I think that everything um, is right for the most part. Yeah. And I think you could maybe make the argument a little bit for an honorable mention for Mitchell Tinsley. Uh, he, he did play like pretty well in the beginning of the season and made some great one-handed catches. He was a little bit quieter towards the end, but um, can't argue too much with, with the, all the players we did get in. All right, moving on to the defense. Joey Porter was the lone Nittany Lion to be first team Big Ten. So congratulations to him in that honor. Thank you for everything you've given to Penn State. We hope everything goes well at the NFL. Definitely would not mind seeing you in midnight green, uh, Joey. So you know, best of luck to you. <laughs> yeah, seriously. Oh, my God. I would love to see Joey Porter Jr. as an eagle. Yeah, so come to Philly, man. Uh, we had PJ Mustafer and Abdul Carter on the second team. Uh, we had uh, Jair Brown. We had Adisa Isaac, Kalen King on the third team. And then honorable mention, we had Chop Robinson, Curtis Jacobs, Nick Tarburton, and Johnny Dixon. Uh, did we miss anybody who should have been on the defense? Yeah, I I think I remember seeing on like the Big Ten media list that there was like – Kalen King was like an honorable mention and there was like no Jair Brown or uh, whatever the case may be. So I thought that there was a little bit of uh, loss recognition there. Um, but, you know, from the list that you just described, I think that, uh, you know, all the all the right names were called. Um, you know, I think that, uh, you know, the, the big ones to really shout out, obviously, are Joey Porter and Kalen King in the secondary. Um, Abdul being second team, I think, is uh, is a, is that's a tremendous honor um, just with given how many great linebackers there are in the big 10. So I think that's, uh, that's really cool for him. Um, so, yeah, you know, I think that uh, I think you could make the argument for uh, chop Robinson to move out of that. What'd you say was honorable mention? Yeah. I think he's at least third team material, but you know. Yeah, I agree. Uh, it is tough with you, you know, you have all those, uh, Ohio State guys and Michigan guys. And I feel like, you know, if, if their team is a little bit better, uh, that might benefit them a little bit more. And right. So while he might be a better player, those guys will, will get the nod in a tiebreaker type situation if they're both good players. Right. All right. Uh, moving on to special teams. Nick Singleton was uh, uh, second team as a Big Ten returner. Mm-hmm. Uh, for honorable mentions, we had Barney Moore at the punter position and uh, Jake Penninger at the kicking position. And we also had uh, Chris Stahl for the Patrick Manley Award for best long snapper in the country. So uh, great honors uh, for a lot of the different special team guys. Yeah, for sure. Um, I think that, uh, you know, we, we might see Nick Singleton as uh, as a first team guy next year. Yeah, great. Uh, yeah, I agree. It's uh, he's so explosive and uh, hope he can continues to develop and uh, I, I think he's going to learn a lot from Katron Allen and his style of running. And I think once he implements that into his game with his ability to just, you know, turn on the jets, if he gets, if he gets a space, he, he's going to be gone. Right. Moving on to some coaching news. Uh, there are rumors that Manny Diaz and Juwan Sider are options uh, for head coaching candidate at Florida Atlantic university. Andrew, what are your thoughts on that and how could that hurt the Nittany Lions? 
Well, you know, it's it's not super surprising. I mean, whenever you have a particular unit or position group doing well, those guys are always going to be uh, rumored to be candidates for coaching jobs. I mean, that's just the nature of college football. Like that just means that you have good coaches on your staff. So, in a in a weird way, that's uh, it's kind of a good thing for Penn State. I mean, that's that's like what happens with coaches at like Ohio State, Alabama, and now obviously Michigan and Georgia. Um, so it's not overly surprising, but I mean, I will say that it, it would hurt Penn State, especially um, I would say Jaywan Sider uh, might be the presence that's most missed out of those two, just because he has been at Penn State for so long. He has done such a rock solid job at recruiting um, high end running back talent. Um, obviously, all those running backs love him. Um, I don't think that any of the current running backs would leave uh, to go join Jaywan Sider, but you know, just given his consistency with the Penn State staff and what he's been able to bring to the table, uh, really starting with uh, Miles Sanders, because uh, Saquon, you could argue, was um, kind of a, a product of Charles Huff, who is now the head coach at Marshall. Um, but you know, Miles Sanders just really kicked things off in a big way for Jaywan Sider leading the running backs. And then from there on, I mean, the rest is, it just speaks for itself. And now it's really culminated into this two headed monster of Singleton and Allen. So I think he um, has done a tremendous job and Penn state would be sad to see him go. And then, I mean, obviously Manny uh, just being such a a great replacement for pry. um, You know, I think that he has learned a lot about the pieces that he has available with the likes of Abdul Carter, um, I think that he losing him would, would be a, a big blow. I think that Penn state still has the juice to go out and get another, uh, big time defensive coordinator because like James Franklin, his, his pitch to, uh, rec- or to a coordinator candidate would be like, look what Manny Diaz did with all these guys. Like, look at what we have available. We have a fresh Abdul Carter for you to do with as you please to go and attack the quarterback. Like there's so much talent on the defensive side of the ball that I think the, the recruiting pitch uh, per se would be rather simple. Um, I'd hate to see him go after one season, but, uh, you know, like I said, such is the nature of college football. So I'm hoping that both of those guys are in happy Valley in 2023. Yeah. And Manny Diaz, it just seems really hit his stride in November. So it would really stink to see him go, uh, you know, after a great November, um, and Juwan Sider, you don't hear a bad thing about this guy. Like every player that seems to come here is like, Oh, Juwan Sider. Like he was recruiting me and I had a great relationship with him, right. especially at that running back position. And, you know, Penn state because of that has, is so slowly becoming almost like a running back. You a little bit, you have Saquon in the NFL, you got Miles Sanders, um, you know, journey Brown probably would have done well if he didn't have those medical issues. Right. Uh, you got Nick Singleton and Kate Ron Allen waiting in the wings. So, you know, uh, Penn state is the place to go if you are running back and Juwan Sider you know, is an awesome coach, Uh hardball question for you right now. Uh, what do you think would hurt Penn state more losing Manny Diaz to this job or Juwan Sider long-term I'll say Jaywan Sider. Uh, because of you know the impact that he's made recruiting running backs, but also his connection to Florida recruits. Because when you saw Jaywan Sayer come into the coaching staff uh, after his time coaching the tight ends at Florida, that's really when you started to see a lot of um, recruits starting to look at Penn State more and even come to Penn State more from the state of Florida. And I mean, there's so many great programs in Florida alone. And then you've got Alabama and Georgia just, you know, right on top of the state waiting to 
pounce on all those talented players coming out of that region. So Jaywan Sider is a big reason why Penn State has a fighting chance at a lot of those recruits um, at some of these skill positions. And I mean, we saw guys coming out like uh, like Kazai Holmes came from Florida uh, because of Jaywan Sider. We saw Kevon Lee come to Penn State because of Jaywan Sider. Like you're seeing a lot of these um, Southern guys come and pay more attention to Penn State in large part because of Jaywan Sider. Like, I don't want to, I don't want to downplay the impact that Manny Diaz has had in his one year. Um, and I'm certainly not going to call him like a band-aid solution. I mean, he was just such an excellent replacement for Pry. but I think that, uh, you know, kind of the, the roots that Jaywan Sider has planted at Penn state over, uh, these handful of years, that would be really painful to lose. Yeah. I think I'm going to agree with you. Uh, that's been the the strength of this team. And, you know, that's what took Penn State to a Big Ten championship. And I think that's what it's going to continue to take for Penn State to get to Big Ten championships is really recruiting that running back position. The running back position is so much more important in college football than it is the NFL, where it's, it's a little bit more, uh, you know, quarterback and pass dominant heavy. So the running back position, really crucial to our success. Uh, you know, as a football team. So, you know, losing him would hurt a lot, especially with recruiting in, you know, the Southern states and Florida, which is a really big state. They produce a lot of good football players. And, you know, like, let's be honest, the the population in the Northeast is uh, is shrinking a little bit compared to other regions. You do see, you know, more of the jobs in the West and in the South. So recruiting the South is important just from a pure numbers basis. You know, because the more people you have, the higher probability that they're going to be, you know, Division One uh, college football athletes. So this, the South is huge, and hopefully we can do enough to uh, make sure Jaywan Sider stays. Manny Diaz has been awesome, but I think with you know Abdul Carter and you know all those weapons on defense, I think that is a uh, you know a, a job that any good coach would want to come into and you know coach up these guys and. You know they can always implement similar schemes. It's not like the the schemes are going to disappear. They they know what those plays are and you know those different coverages and they they can still implement that even if he does leave. Uh, that's right. kind of kind of one thing I, I never understood when uh, Joe Moorhead Joe Moorhead had tons of success at Penn State as an offensive coordinator. Then he took the head coaching job at Mississippi State and things didn't go quite as well with Ricky Ronnie and you know Kirk Sharaka after that and. I was I was always thinking to myself, why don't we just you know use uh, Moorhead's plays and kind of go with uh, you know that flow of the offense because yeah. those seem to work so well with uh, Trace and Saquon and company. Right. Yeah. Yeah. That, those are good points, and you know, uh, just to you know, kind of tie a bow on uh, my thoughts on Manny Diaz. I don't think even if he is offered that job that he's going to take it because if I had to guess, he's waiting for a head coaching job in uh, the Power Five. Yeah, I think he's definitely uh, good enough to be in the Power Five as well. That's kind of what he deserves. That's that's what he's shown me, uh, you know, this this past year. So, uh, you know, hopefully he's just kind of sticking his nose out there and, you know, just getting his name out there that he is being interviewed for these jobs. That way, more people are thinking about him. Right. I saw that with uh, Brent Pry when he was being uh, recruited to the, I believe, it was the Georgia Southern job. Yep. Um, and then he ended up declining that one, stayed with us. And then a couple of years later, you know, took the head coaching job with Virginia Tech. So, um, you know, hopefully it's the same with uh, Manny Diaz and he sticks around a little longer. 
Yeah. And you know, what's, what's interesting too about Manny Diaz and kind of the outlook on him as a head coach. I mean, you want to talk about like the dumpster fire that Miami has been this year. Like that's what Manny Diaz was dealing with last year and Miami, like they weren't good, but they weren't atrocious. <laughs> so, you know, I like, I think there was, there was some stigma around Manny Diaz after he uh, was fired from the Miami job uh, because of how things fell apart. But you know, Mario Cristobal came into town and things haven't really gotten that much better. So I think that uh, honestly kind of is a, is a, is kind of like a positive check mark um, when programs are thinking about Diaz. Yeah. And it's kind of like the old quote, you know, players play, you know, coaches can't do anything on the field. They can put you in uh, positions to be successful, but you know, you're the player, you got to execute on, on the field. The coach can't, you know, hold your hand and do that for you. So yeah. And plus um, it seems like there's a ton of just, you know, like behind the scenes, just nonsense going on with the administration and just like coaching staff hires and just weird administrative things that I think that crystal ball is looking to address, but it, you know, it just, it's just like one of those things where like the coach can only do so much if uh, his hands are being tied kind of like, you know, you remember how like we were talking about Doug Peterson and like what he was able to do with, uh, you know, like, Howie Roseman, uh, just with some of the speculation going around that like they were kind of in each other's way and stuff like that, like kind of seemed like there was some of that going on. Yeah, maybe. Um, and yeah, the, the relationship between the coaching staff and front office is really important, uh, for making things work. If you, if you have disagreements, like it's not going to work out. You saw that with Howie Roseman and Chip Kelly and, you know, and, you know, it seems that like uh, Nick Sirianni and Howie are gelling together really good. So that, you know, that's important for the, you know, the vibe in the building. And, and I think we need to give uh, Patrick Kraft some credit. Uh, you know, this is his first year as athletic director and oh, yeah. you know, all these programs are doing so well and executing very well. So I think we do need to give some uh, credit to our, our new athletic director as well. Yeah, for sure. And, you know, he seems to be the kind of guy who's going to just fight to the death to keep talented coordinators like Manny Diaz in state college. So, uh, you know, obviously Sandy Barber did a tremendous job, uh, for the number of years that she was at Penn state, but I'm glad that we have Kraft uh, going to bat for us. Yeah, me too. And, and he's even like battling for little things for us, like not starting our schedule on the road in the big 10 right. every single year. And yeah, you know, I, I think that, you know, that, that definitely hurts because, uh, you saw us, uh, struggle against Purdue and that was probably our closest game of the season and gave us a scare that maybe shouldn't have been but you know it takes a few weeks uh, as a football team you know to really get into your flow offensively when you get a lot of new faces coming to campus that takes time to do that and game experience so you know having that be a little more balanced I think would benefit Penn State going forward. Vince, are you telling me that we should not have struggled against the vaunted champions of the Big Ten West? <laughs> uh, not as much as we did. If we played them in November, uh, <laughs> oh my God. that would have been a different story. <laughs> yeah, we would have smashed them. Yeah. Um, yeah, but anyway, we'll move on because we, we just have so much news to talk about today. There's, right. there's a lot of craziness uh, going on. Yep. Uh, Christian Bayou is the first player to announce that he has entered the uh, transfer portal yep. uh, with the emergence of, you know, Drew Lahr. And, you know, it seems kind of set in stone that he's going to be the starter next year. Uh, you can't blame uh, a competitive athlete for one, wanting to play. So, you know, 
you can't blame him for wanting to look at other options to see if there's a, a starting job for him somewhere else. Yeah, absolutely not. I mean, I wouldn't say that this was unexpected at all. Uh, Christian is a is a very good quarterback in his own right. He's going to get his shot, and I hope he does. So, you know, it wouldn't be uh, too surprising if, you know, we see a little bit of Will Levis in Christian Bay where he kind of goes to like maybe the ACC or like Pac-12 or wherever it might be and uh, kind of makes a name for himself. So wish him well. Yep. Uh, yeah, I think he's a good player uh, and can do well. So it'll, it'll be exciting to see uh you know how he does. Um, Will Levis actually just declared for the NFL, so we want to wish him luck. He played hard when he was here, so you know, hopefully he finds a, a nice home and is a high draft pick in the NFL. Yeah, which I, I mean, uh, kind of seems like um, you know the expectations or at least the projections for him have uh, kind of come back down to earth a little bit. Um, you know, from the like top five projections that like Mel Kiper was uh, given him like midway through the season. I still think that, you know, he's, he's got the body of an NFL quarterback. So I think it'll be interesting to see how things kind of translate because um, you know, you, you had instances of like guys like Justin Herbert, who was like kind of the big guy with the big arm, but people were kind of unsure of his passing ability. And then you had Josh Allen, who was a big, big guy with a big arm, but seemed like he had, no accuracy and stuff like that. So we really weren't sure like how those uh, products would turn out. And obviously we've seen what both of those guys are able to do at the NFL right now. So it'll be interesting to see how that translates for Will. Yeah, he definitely has the, uh, you know, the body type and the size and the athleticism. However, playing quarterback in the NFL, it's hard. It's, it's, it's a lot harder than that. You have to be able to do so many things. Your, your mental ability has to be off the chart. Uh, you know, I, I think that's a big part of what has like attributed to like uh, Tom Brady and uh, Peyton Manning, especially his success is, you know, ability to call audibles and get his teammates in favorable situations and matchups was just absolutely incredible. I don't know if I've seen anyone do it better than Peyton Manning. Uh, so, yeah, it's playing quarterback in the NFL. It is hard. Like you can't just be an athlete. You have to be you know, special. Yeah. All right, some other news we got. Uh, this is actually from the recruiting front. Uh, so I don't know if you remember CJ2K uh, on the Tennessee Titans, Chris Johnson, but his son has uh, Penn State in his top four. So No way. Yeah, that would be really cool. I think the other teams that are looking at him are in his top four are Ohio State, Clemson, and Miami. So if... Nice. This is a really important recruiting battle. And, you know, Jawan Sider, if we lose Jawan Sider, things could not be uh, looking quite as good for us in this uh, recruiting battle. So, you know, hopefully Sider uh, stays and doesn't go to FAU. And uh, hopefully we keep him around. And, you know, maybe we'll see uh, CJ2K Jr. at uh, Penn State. That'd be crazy. I mean, uh, and like, what a time for freshman running backs to just explode on the scene for Penn State because. Like, you know, for, for a long time, Penn State has been a running back by committee group. Um, seemed like Journey Brown was kind of was going to kind of break that system a little bit when he exploded onto the scene uh, with the Cotton Bowl and that tremendous performance that he put on a couple of years ago. Uh, but, you know, since then, Penn State has done everything by committee until this year when they had kind of the two running back system almost by necessity because like Kevon Lee was dealing with injury and then it was basically uh, Singleton and Allen and then Tank Smith. So, you know, I think it's uh, it, it's an interesting recruiting pitch when you're able to say like, you know, we're not afraid to play as a freshman if you're going to do big things. And we are not 
uh, we're not going to shy away from giving you the touches if uh, you're going to produce. So if uh, CJ2K Jr. feels like he can ball out, then uh, come to Penn State. Yeah, love to have him. Uh, and even if uh, you know he's a, the third string guy, you know that's that's not that bad. Uh, you know because there's Penn State is a team that runs the ball a lot, and you, you know you see. Katron and Nick sometimes almost both getting 20 carries a game. So yeah, it's, you know, it's, it's fun to watch and, you know, we, uh, we got a lot of carries for everyone. So uh, love to have him just as long as he doesn't go to Ohio state, I'll, I'll be okay with the, however it turns out. <laughs> right. All right. Seeing if we have uh, any more news because there was a lot of it just skimming through my notes here. Well, what about uh, what, let's chat about let's chat about the Rose Bowl a little bit. Oh, yeah. So, we got we got to talk about you know, that and the conference championship games. There's just so right. much to talk about. And yeah, uh, this so, is gonna be an awesome episode. Right, yeah, It's going to be a long it's one, like two sure. hours. <laughs> um, but yeah, so uh, for all of you listening out there, uh, there has been some reports, some speculation that if. Ohio State is still left at number five in the college football playoff rankings once the college or once the conference championship games have wrapped up. There is a chance that the Rose Bowl will invite Penn State over Ohio State to come and play in their game. And some of the reasons that were given um, in an article that's been published by The Athletic, I believe, is that the Rose Bowl. Um, was apparently unhappy with Ohio State not selling out its ticket allotment uh, for the last couple of Rose Bowls that Ohio State has appeared in, as well as the high number of opt-outs by Ohio State players going into the game. So, you know, I I wonder if there's a little bit of pride associated with it. Like, the Rose Bowl is like, we're the freaking Rose Bowl. Like, why... Why don't you view us as as important as like the college football playoff? I mean, sure, you're not going to win a national championship, but you're going to win the Rose Bowl. So I wonder if there's a little bit of weariness there. Um, And also, you know, like the last couple of times, I mean, look at 2016. I mean, I don't know how quickly Penn State fans would have done it, but I bet my house that Penn State fans sold out their allotment of tickets for the Rose Bowl and in a hurry. So, you know, that's definitely an interesting wrinkle that we didn't really think was going to be possible because, you know, we both kind of thought that it was a foregone conclusion that if Ohio State was not going to the playoff, they're going to the Rose Bowl. Yeah, this is crazy news. Uh, I definitely do have two opinions on this. Uh, My first opinion was if we were in Ohio State shoes, let's say we beat them and we are the number five team, they were the number eight and Ohio State was invited over us. You better believe I would be livid, like oh, super God, PO, sure. like yeah. you know, <laughs> like just going insane uh, that we earned it and didn't get to go. But my second thought is, how funny would it be that Penn State gets to go because our fans are better and like you know, we're more <laughs> passionate? Like you know, Ohio State, they're like, ah, eh, whatever. Like we go to games every year, like college football playoff. I'd be like, fine, right. You don't want to go to the Rose Bowl. That's your problem. We are going to sell it out. We are going to sell it to the best fans in college football, and they are going to fill that stadium, and it is going to be a great time. Yeah. So, I mean, it's uh, it's added a lot of um, intrigue to this final stretch of college football for us because we kind of thought that, you know, really the only chance that we had was for Utah to beat USC clear up that four spot for Ohio state to get in. And then we'd be kind of the de facto um, 
party to be invited to the Rose Bowl, but now it doesn't even seem like that's uh, really the only avenue. So it's just uh, made things a bit more interesting. Yeah, it really has. And uh, how nice would it be if if the Utes uh, won and then you had you know USC and Penn State both in the Rose Bowl in the 100th Again. anniversary uh, when you know they were the first teams to ever play in the Rose Bowl. Yeah, it'd be some crazy symmetry for sure. And also, I mean, like, I mean, I'm not going to complain about being in the Rose Bowl, but like, give me a different team, man. Like, uh, we played played them in the Rose Bowl in 2008, 2016, um, and then the uh, the the recent time before that was in '94 when they played Oregon. So, you know, I'm not I'm not going to complain about being in the Rose Bowl, but uh, you know, I'd rather see a different team than the Trojans for selfish reasons. Well, for selfish reasons, I don't know. I'm out for blood. I want to beat USC. I want to get some revenge. They're going to be in the Big Ten soon. I don't want to avoid them. I want to play, you know, the big bad Trojans and beat them up in their house. That's that's yeah. my mentality. I think our defense has that mentality. Let's go USC, Penn State, Rose Bowl. I want to see it happen. Cool. Yeah. I mean, that, you, you've convinced me. <laughs> yeah. How, how can that speech not uh not not get you pumped up? <laughs> yeah vince are, are you like secretly a ghostwriter for movie companies like where they have to write speeches for coaches and sports movies <laughs> that'd be that'd be great that'd be like the easiest job ever you just have to like be really <laughs> loud <laughs> but uh moving on to uh conference championships we have uh the pac-12 is obviously usc and utah and the big 12 we have tcu and kansas state in the Big Ten, we obviously have Purdue and Michigan. SEC, we got LSU, Georgia. And then in the ACC, we got Clemson and North Carolina. So those are the five big ones. Um, we do have uh, Tulane and UCF, which the winner of that game would probably go to the Cotton Bowl. So that is a potential Penn State opponent. Now, Andrew, how do you see these power five conference games going um, not only what you think will happen, but if there are upsets, do you think there are teams that could potentially jump Penn state in the rankings and potentially steal their pot spot in a college football playoff, uh, not college football playoff, but new year's six bowl game. So I'm kind of of the opinion that they're going to have to put up some major style points to jump here. And I'm talking like, 2014 Ohio State when they beat Wisconsin I think it was like 58 to nothing in the Big Ten championship game to go from I believe it was number six to number four and get that spot in the college football playoff like that's the kind of beatdown that any one of these teams or any one of these like teams ranked behind Penn State would have to put on their opponent to jump Penn State and just looking at the slate of teams right now I don't see that happening. I mean, it, it, like the conversations are going to be had uh, if any of those teams win, win those games regardless. I just think it would take a little bit extra for the committee to be like, okay, yeah, they're, they're ahead of Penn State now. Okay, so uh, how do you see these, these games playing off? Uh, who, who wins? So of the ones that you have listed, I, I like TCU. I think that they're playing their best football right now. Even like Kansas State is coming in hot, but I just think that TCU is uh, just operating at a, at a different level right now. Um, I think that Georgia is just kind of the defensive monster that even if their offense isn't um, operating as well as it could be, I think that they're going to limit um, uh, Jaden Daniels and crew 
of the Tiger squad after their um, regular season letdown against Texas A&M. I don't think that Purdue can hang with Michigan. I think that, you know, like I'll say that uh, maybe Purdue keeps it like within 14 to 10 points, but I don't really think they're going to threaten Michigan much in that game. Um, And in the ACC, I I mean, I I think it's kind of a situation of like poor versus the poor because Clemson (laughs) and UNC both lost their regular season finale to their in-state rivals and Clemson especially like essentially lost their, their chance at a college football playoff berth. So, I mean, it's just double injury. Um, but I, I, I guess I'll still take Clemson in that one. I think they're the deeper team. Uh, so yeah. And then in the, in the pack 12, I, I think that I probably take the Trojans right now just because it is so hard to beat the same team twice. Um, that being said, if there is a team that is going to do it, it would be Utah because uh, what was it? Was it even like last year when they beat Oregon twice to go to the Rose Bowl? So I think that they yeah. have the, you know, kind of the coaching and the leadership to do it. I just think that Kayla Williams and Lincoln Riley and crew are, are, you know, similar to TCU. They're, they're playing some really good football right now. Yeah, so uh, I'll start off in the in the SEC. So I do think your number one seed is going to be Georgia. Uh, if, you, if you look at LSU's like really big win, um, that was against Alabama at home. I, I just don't think they'll be able to you know, beat Georgia in a neutral field. I just think it's going to be too difficult. I think the Bulldogs are, are too talented, unless uh, Stetson Bennett has a you know a really off day. I I don't foresee that happening. So I'll take Georgia in that one. Uh, moving on to the Big Ten, I like Michigan over Purdue. Uh, I could see Aiden O'Connell uh, keeping it close, especially uh, in the first half. I wouldn't even be super surprised. Um, even maybe a first half lead. You've seen us have a first half lead against Michigan. Heck, you've seen even Rutgers have a, right. a pen, uh, lead over Michigan at half. But yeah, it's true. Yeah, they're they're a second half team. Like Michigan, once they kind of feel threatened in the slightest, they just turn on the Jets. Like they become a different team. Yeah, and I I think that's how they'll respond. That's kind of what they've done all year. So I think Michigan man, maybe they'll get uncomfortable. Who knows? They may, they might be just really confident, but. Uh, you know, I, I think uh, they might be a little wor- worried early. And then I think, you know, third, fourth quarter, you know, I just see Michigan being too dominant and too physical and overtaking that game. So I have them winning. I like the Trojans in USC. Uh, Caleb Williams is playing really well. They had a one point loss at Utah. I thought that was a game that they should have won. It is really difficult to beat, you know, teams of that close ability and inability twice. So I'll take USC for my three seed. Uh, Moving on to the ACC, I do think it is going to be Clemson winning. However, uh, I don't think that really impacts Penn State too much because if Clemson wins the ACC, they'll be going uh, to the Rose Bowl. Um, And then if uh, UNC wins the ACC, they'll be going to the Rose Bowl. And a three-loss Clemson, who's already behind us, is not going to jump us in the college football playoffs. So I don't think the ACC game matters as much to us. And the one I think uh, that could be really interesting is TCU. I really like Kansas State in this one. You've seen TCU fall behind many a times. uh, And they just find ways to win. However, they did that to Kansas State. 
uh, Kansas State can learn from their mistakes and you know make adjustments. So my question for you is, uh, based off what I think is going to happen, uh, so if you have a 12-1 TCU and an 11-1 Ohio State, who do you think uh, should get the nod and who do you think will get the nod for the college football playoff in that scenario if TCU loses? Uh, yeah, I, I would say TCU and TCU. And, you know, it, it's just because they have – they would have more ranked wins in the regular season. They would still have an undefeated um, regular season, and they will have played in their conference championship game. Um, like those things, I don't think the committee should overlook, even if you know they view the Big Twelve as maybe a weaker conference compared to uh, the top-heavy Big Ten. Um, so I think for those reasons, I, I think they should take TCU. And in that scenario, I think they would take TCU. I think they would just move them from like three to four. Okay. And I, I think that's a fair argument to make. Uh, however, TCU, uh, the highest ranked team they beat was Kansas State at number 10. You have Ohio State who beat Penn State at number eight. And you had Ohio State who beat um, Notre Dame. At number, uh, what are they now? Like top fifteen, uh, or actually, they probably got well, yeah, down prob- a little bit. Yeah, probably not anymore. Right, probably not anymore. But Notre Dame is a you know a respectable win as well, and you know Texas is a good one in the Big Twelve. Yeah, so I think those those are two that are really close in uh, in that resume. I do think Kansas State will win the Big Twelve. Uh, if I had to put money down, I I, I like the Wildcats. Uh, but, you know, it, it is nice to have four teams from four different conferences. So, you know, I think that they'll stay in. Uh, they have a good shot to do that because the Big Ten playoff doesn't necessarily like to put two teams from the same conference in. Uh, so I think that could be interesting. Uh, LSU hopefully does not jump us if they somehow beat Georgia uh, because that would knock us down a spot. So I think that would be the game that would hurt Penn State the most. Because uh, Utah is down at eleven, uh, maybe Utah jumps us. But then again, they would be, you know, fighting for the Rose Bowl. They're not quite fighting for the same bowl games that we are for the most part. So you know, hopefully they don't jump us. Maybe they, you know, edge us out in the Cotton Bowl. Uh, so a lot of different scenarios. We're gonna have to wait this weekend. But you know, I think that you know you'll see Penn State in the Cotton Bowl when all is said and done. I, I do think. You know, unless, you know, this uh, report that we're hearing about the Rose Bowl not liking Ohio State is true. I think you see Ohio State there. You probably see an Alabama and the Orange Bowl, Alabama or Tennessee. And then you see uh, us in the uh, Cotton Bowl. I do think that's the most likely outcome. But who knows? It's college football. Crazier things have happened. Yeah, that's right. And I I think uh, I'm in agreement with you there. I think the cotton bowl is the most likely landing spot for Penn state because I mean, even with all this uh, news and speculation coming out about the Rose bowl and Ohio state, it's important to remember that it is still speculation at this point. I mean, it, they could very well just follow suit after the conference games have wrapped up and, you know, without missing a beat, they could just say, okay, Ohio state, come on down. And then, all, you know, all these like rumors or whatever, are just uh, wither away to dust. And then Penn state is going to the cotton bowl again. 
Yeah, and maybe you like have the Ohio State fans like, oh, we're so sorry. We'll like buy all our tickets, and you know they'll, you know, the AD will be like, oh, we'll we'll do better. You know, we'll put a report out, and you know, if the Penn State will go over us, then people will get mad and then buy the tickets. So yeah, who knows? Who knows? Like maybe that's a card they're trying to play as well. Uh, anything else you want to cover before we got get out of here? It's been a long one. Dude, I yeah, it's uh, this has been a long one, but it's been a good discussion. Um, you know, this has been a fun season. Uh, like we said in the last pod, uh, we really shouldn't take ten win seasons for granted. Um, as as Penn State fans, I mean, we're we're obviously chasing um, a higher standard with uh, you know Michigan and Ohio State kind of being the the uh, the two man leaders or you know kind of the the two team leaders of the Big Ten right now, um, but you know Rome wasn't built in a day, and the way that we get to that level is with ten plus win seasons. So we should enjoy this one. Um, obviously, we have one more game coming up, so thankfully we'll have another game to preview here at some point uh, in the month of December. But uh, for now, yeah, it's uh, it's been a fun season, so we just can't wait to watch some of these conference championship games. Yep, I agree. Uh, so do they make the uh, picks for all the bowl games on Sunday? Yes, they do. Okay, so that'll be fun to uh, you know speculate next week after that to see who Penn State will be playing in the bowl. Um, hopefully it's in January. Yeah, yeah, exactly. So we'll have a lot to look forward and talk to. Might drive us a little crazy not having Penn State for a few weeks, but uh, you know, definitely something to look forward in the new year. That's right. If you'd like to support the pod, please tell your friends. Follow us on Twitter, Facebook, and Instagram. If you enjoy the show, please leave a five-star review so that other Nittany Lion fans like you can find us. Interested in new episodes? You can subscribe on Spotify, Apple Podcasts, Google Podcasts, or other streaming platforms to be notified. Thank you for listening, and we want to remind you that we are the Nittany Blues Podcast. See you next time.